Hello, and welcome to Higher Voltage, a podcast that explores the ins and outs of higher education marketing and touches on all aspects of the business of higher education. We are brought to you by eCity Interactive. For more than 20 years, eCity has been creating marketing strategies, websites, and digital experiences for higher ed institutions, large and small. Inspired by challenge and proven by results, eCity can help you solve the greatest challenges facing your institution today. My name is Heather Dotchell. You have most recently encountered me leading the marketing and communications teams at two Philadelphia area colleges. Welcome back to Higher Voltage. Today, we're diving into the world of professional development in a time where we can't actually gather together not in person at least, to share our expertise, networks, and breakthroughs. Our guests this week are here to explore how we can best handle and redefine what it means to keep career skills moving forward. Gail Towns loves a good story, which is why she has worked in university marketing and communications for nearly 20 years. Following stints in Atlanta, Kalamazoo, and Cincinnati, Gail now leads the marketing team at Georgian Court University a Catholic college in New Jersey. Catherine Feminella is the Associate Dean of Students at Widener University and has held progressive higher education leadership positions in residence life and student affairs since 2002. She is the founding member of the Women of Widener Women's Leadership Forum and is currently the state chairperson for the American Council on Education's Pennsylvania ACE Women's Network. Gail, before we get started, what has been your favorite means of professional development? Heather, I love a good conference, not unlike other folks. And I will tell you that after years, almost 20, in this space, I've actually come to love the regional conferences a little bit more. Uh, Having attended national meetings, national events are great, and they serve a purpose. But really, it is within your region that you get to know like-minded people with similar challenges. So that's one thing that's been a favorite. The other is... I am secretly, but maybe now not so secretly, darn near addicted to on-demand webinars. I just, I was looking for something a few minutes ago in LinkedIn, in their LinkedIn learning uh, portal, and I saw where I have 85 <laughs> videos saved for things that I wanted to learn more about. That's probably a few too many. Need to For your spare time? In my spare time. <laughs> Both continue to be important. Catherine, what do you find most valuable about ongoing professional development? Heather, I think I'm a people person, and so I find the opportunity to share information and network with other people through professional development opportunities to be one of the most rewarding pieces. Of course, as a higher education person and a person who's a a lifelong learner, I love the opportunity to learn things at conferences and other kinds of professional development opportunities But I find what's most valuable is those takeaways from engaging with colleagues and peers and finding new colleagues in the network that can we can help one another down the line, work on projects, collaborate on things and kind of solve and untangle really difficult problems and issues. So uh, let's dive right into our conversation. Professional development is absolutely essential in higher education. As it specifically relates to the two of you, in marketing and comm, our media vehicles and technology are constantly evolving. So we need to keep up with that uh, year after year, sometimes month after month. Um, 
Student affairs is also in a constant state of change, um, growth, and evolution. With conferences and travel canceled for the foreseeable future, how are schools developing their personnel? And what are the best resources and forums and other online replacements for conferences we've seen so far? So let's start as we often do these days, as we've referred to in our first episode of Higher Voltage in the before time, uh, before we were so intimately familiar with pandemics and their fallouts. Catherine, why don't you begin? What did professional development look like for you in 2018, 2019, and in the fall of 2019 for you and your staff? Sure. I would say most, most like other campuses, we were working on organizing and preparing for opportunities where our, our colleagues would be in our unit, would be going to regional meetings or flying in person to a conference or setting up the sessions we wanted to go to that were coordinated with a professional association, however that format was. So I think that was really kind of the strategic plan in the fall for most of us is to kind of gather what it is we wanted to do and figure out who would go to what things and kind of the divide and conquer method of managing who would approach what professional development opportunity and how that would go. How about you, Gail? So we're taking a step back in time, right? Although it probably feels like uh, more than a year or two ago at this point, things have changed so dramatically. <laughs> things have really changed. Uh, we did begin to pivot probably, uh, I'll be honest, after the recovery from the last recession, we began to pivot more toward regional meetings, as you might expect, just to uh, limit the amount of money we were spending. But we also began to be more involved in organizations uh, nationally whether there were forums set aside, for, and I'll give you an example, um, not just being a member of the Public Relations Society of America, but being a member of the Counselors to Higher Education Forum within the Public Relations Society of America. So that's to say, Heather, that we were looking for ways to extract even more value from those national memberships. In addition to doing more regional work, we made a, uh, a push to go for day conferences. So we looked for things where we could drive two or three to a car and spend the day at a single conference or split up uh, a conference that might be two days between three or four people. And again, extract as much value as possible. So those were two of the, the things that we were doing at that time. And last but not least, and this is old but tried and true, we did stage a few brown bag lunches. So I implemented, uh, I don't want to say an edict, but I required anybody who went away for any professional development to have a plan to share. So if you were going to do that over lunch, formally, informally, invite folks, not invite folks, whatever, you needed to be able to share whatever your big takeaways were. So we did that. Catherine and I have a mutual friend who, instead of calling it an edict, tells you that you're voluntold to do it. You can use that. Yes. It's a good one. I, okay. That sounds a lot better. Very effective. <laughs> All right. So we have these kind of traditional professional development paths that, that you're touching on. As we're focusing on these pre-pandemic means of professional development, what did you do to really evaluate the ROI of the conferences, of the brown bag lunches and, and the like? I think one of the ways that you evaluate is, you know, are those takeaways really relevant to you, which is part of um, both the, the beauty and the burden of going to places and spending money where it may or may not have the ROI you're looking for. But I will give you an example. 
um, I think I attended an event in 2014 or 2015. And there are slide decks from that event that I still use today. They're tucked away in my Evernote account, just in case, you know, wherever I'm working, I still want access to that information. Those types of uh, tangible takeaways that are useful. Another way to evaluate whether or not a conference, a meeting, uh, some type of activity is useful in terms of ROI is, are there connections that you make that are valuable, not just at the conference, but going forward? Do you meet people who are willing to be called upon uh, in times of need or just to check in? And Heather, you know, not just because you're the host of the show, I have to say, we made that type of connection at a conference a few years ago. And in this uh, season of pandemic, uh, social justice unrest, you name it, Heather said, hey, she sent me a direct message on Twitter. And I guess, again, we're professional colleagues, but is there anything I can help you talk through? What are you dealing with right now um, as a professional? So that those types of takeaways uh, are invaluable. Yeah, I agree. It's really the relationships that, that we build at this professional development that provides um, ongoing benefits, uh, both personally, of course, but also professionally, because once you develop these relationships, especially when you see people um, more than once at ongoing professional development uh, in those situations, you um, you really develop kind of a shorthand uh, and, a, and a closeness that, that helps inform your work well into the future. Catherine, how about you? I would agree with both of you about the networking piece. I think that's one of been one of the most valuable pieces of the pre-pandemic ability to be in person and contact one another. And I would even say to follow up on what Gail was sharing with keeping connected with other people is just the opportunities that that can sometimes provide. I've had a variety of situations where something would happen during an academic year and we find ourselves with a staff member leaving and it wasn't necessarily expected. And then you call upon colleagues to chat with them and find out if they know anyone, et cetera. And Heather and I have a mutual friend at another university who shared with me this. I just was having a, a check-in kind of conversation with her, shared with her. We were having a kind of a little bit of a struggle based on an unexpected uh, departure. And before I knew it, I someone from her school was graduating and we had a fit and it became a position that was filled. And so you never know what happens sometimes from those networking opportunities and meeting each other at conferences and chatting, because even if it's not an intentional piece or even if it's not your own moving forward to a different position, you just never know what can come from that besides, you know, the rich takeaways that are usually happening at the session, right? You're having tactile things you're taking away and implementing for your campus. But then the people part is really the part that I think was is so valuable that you, you don't, you know, you just don't get that same piece when you're not always able to do the human contact in some way, shape, or form. Thank you. That's perfect. And that gives us a really good place, I think, to, to pivot to what we are seeing uh, professional development look like now uh, that we can't meet. Um, and the fact that we probably aren't going to be able to gather for quite some time, we're seeing major conferences on the Marcom side being announced virtual out well into 2021. This week I attended EduWeb, uh, which was the first big virtual conference that I have attended so far. And I have notes to share on that as we, we go through. It was a really interesting subject. But 
specifically considering I think all three of us have highlighted the fact that the networking and the relationship building is the key point um, to a lot of this professional development from us. Let's, let's talk about how we're going to look for professional development coming up and then relate that to the fact that, that these relationships are perhaps our most important piece of development and how we think that can be accomplished virtually. Catherine, what are you looking for in professional development? So I think I, I know we talked a lot about it being a, a personal connection piece, and I think there are ways to do that. And we have been thinking about this for a little while at my current institution. And I know a lot of colleagues who don't have, you know, unlimited professional development funds also have been entertaining for some time now. How do you look at opportunities to have staff do something that you maybe don't have to leave your university for and you don't have to spend a registration fee for? So some of that for me, has been reframing the focus on not always a conference, but some other opportunity that you might be able to do. So encouraging someone, if they're interested in somebody else's role, either on their campus or someplace else, to look for an informational interview that you can do with that person and engage with them, to perhaps do some job shadowing. So if there's someone who has a really interesting role and you always wondered what certain aspects of that were encouraging them on that sort of thing. Also, it's important for me to talk with my team about looking for professional organizations that provide low cost or no cost opportunities like reading articles, getting access to a book or a podcast or a video that would allow you to again, gain some richness from something, but also be able to then do what Gail said on the back end, if you find something interesting, reaching back out to a colleague and letting them know that, and perhaps even nurturing a relationship from that experience. You make a really good point there and actually sparked an idea. Given that we are, I don't wanna say place bound, because in the physical sense we might be, but I think this period is unleashing our imagination and creativity around what we can do. So for example, you talked about articles, podcasts, etc. Um, and what's going through my mind right now is I have the absolute ability to invite an author from, you know, Kate's Currents magazine to join one of my staff meetings. I can invite you, Catherine, to join one of my staff meetings. I can invite Heather. But to some degree, while there are boundaries, we are also boundless at this time. So you've got me thinking. I'm glad. That's a great point, though. I really hadn't thought about the incorporation of the folks at our own meetings and our own connectedness. But to be quite frank, previously, when we were doing only in-person meetings and that sort of thing, we really were cutting off or not necessarily thinking of those kind of bringing other folks into the dialogue. I also think sometimes there doesn't need to be a super formal process of professional development. I've had some conversations with newer professionals in higher education. And sometimes the mindset that folks have coming in is that only conferences are professional development, right? That's usually the, the and lots of us have that feeling, right? That that's one of the things of when I get this job, what will they offer me? But another aspect of that is looking for opportunities to develop those things yourself. So taking a participatory role in your own professional development so seeking that out from your supervisor. So one of the things I've been doing with my team in, in the pandemic time is really having conversations about um, since we're sitting at a desk all day, maybe we're just looking at Zoom meetings and that kind of stuff. Can we have a walking 
one-on-one? -on -one? Can we look at opportunities to uh, go out and talk with each other and maybe make it a phone call, but also be uh, walking, taking a breath, looking at someplace different, doing something that allows us to talk through what their interests are and what they're looking forward to doing and really helping to guide that process so, so it's not a solo endeavor. I think it forces us too to become very well-rounded in the resources uh, that we use. As you said, Catherine, uh, I think we've been kind of stuck in this idea that professional development is a conference and all of these other resources don't necessarily fall into that. But I know with my staff over the years, because time is such a precious resource in our units, having uh, Linda, which is now LinkedIn's you know, library, having full access to that was certainly part of our professional development plan for those times where maybe you had a morning where you had an hour. Uh, that wasn't completely overscheduled and you had a, a new skill that you were trying to, to use. My graphic designers in particular looked to use that kind of, of learning system and, and that's professional development. So maybe as we're, we're putting this all together, we really can become more well-rounded and comprehensive in, in our planning that we're doing for our staff, that, that it's, it's a much more integrated approach to advancing skills. But those skills don't have the relationship aspect. So let's talk a little bit about virtual conferences. Have you or your staff attended a virtual conference yet? How did you like it? What were your tips? What can you share with us about that experience? Gail, why don't you begin? I have attended one virtual conference that stood out and uh, it was basically early on in the pandemic, essentially as we were all trying to figure out how to salvage yield season, and ensure that students got their uh, applications completed and that we got them accepted. So there was a single uh, event in early May on enrollment marketing during COVID-19 that really looked at web, video, and digital strategy. Um, that was a good meeting. That was the best one. I do find that the difference probably is that that was earlier in the pandemic when I wasn't completely Zoomed out so, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, what made it worthwhile and kept my attention, I think, and made for a good ROI, Heather, is that it was relevant in real time. You know, I would prefer not to be in a pandemic, but if there is a silver lining, it is how can we attend virtual or in, in life, in real life conferences that are as relevant as possible. I can share as well, you know, Gail brought up the real life aspect of it. And I think that's really critical is that they were timely opportunities. I'm not sure if all of the offerings are like that all the time, but I think the one that I participated in was New England College's Higher Education Assessment Conference, and they really did a good job of engaging you. I think the, the contrast to that is just because this is all new for us, trying to do this and still trying to balance what is expected to happen with regard to our work and that we're sort of constantly at the machine, you know, the computer and that sort of thing. So we, there's a little bit of that dynamic where there is a distraction that I think comes from it when you are at a physical conference, even though you have your phone, et cetera, you're not quite as distracted as when you're online and then all the, your email is dinging and all the things are going on and trying to you know, reconnect you to, to your campus work that you have to do while you're trying to have that professional development opportunity. There's a little bit of contrast there. 
as I mentioned, I attended EduWeb this week, uh, and I thought it was it was a really interesting experience. I actually loved the interface that they did. Um, as you came into the virtual lobby, you could pick your sessions or your workshops, and it was very much um, akin to that moment where you're strolling through the halls of your convention center, looking at your brochure and trying to pick which session that you were going to attend at any given time. Uh, the beauty of the virtual sessions for me was that you didn't actually have that moment of panic where you're like, oh no, there's two or three things at the same time that I really want to see because they recorded every session. So all you had to do was go back after the session you were attending live was done and you could see those other sessions, which was a really nice kind of upgrade, I think, from that, that physical in-person piece. And then interestingly, so as far as the, the relationship aspect of the, the conference went, I think we've been training for years now as most of us, I think, tweet and subtweet <laughs> during a lot of these conferences. So that is a natural way uh, that we have been experiencing uh, professional devel development virtually as well as we were there physically. So that was also very much the same. And there was actually significant technological difficulties with a few of the sessions um, that were going on. And the communication was great. There was the chat right in the uh, virtual sessions themselves. And then everybody had spun up Twitter and were talking. And I think because it's such a brave new world for everybody, um, all the attendees were very calm and understanding. Uh, the conference runners were all very graceful and on top of it. And, you know, adversity tends, I think, to bring out some of that immediate relationship building right there, because then we were all talking on Twitter, like, oh, you're doing a great job, and thank you for being patient, and, and all of that. And then, you know, everybody starts following everybody else. So I, I was really pleasantly surprised. I didn't know what to expect going into it, and found out that it was, was a very positive experience overall. Another quick question, turning the tables here. How did you keep yourself from being distracted or pulled in a million different directions? The honest answer is I didn't always, but because I was very interested in uh, the topics and because those slides were right up front and I wasn't squinting down the, the room to try to see and I didn't have friends there that I was, you know, covertly waving to or whatever as it went on. I don't think it, overall it was, it was very different than that, that physical okay. experience because there's, there's always distractions um, even, even in the physical location. I'm looking forward to uh, attending something like that, but I wonder if we're still trying to get the gist of what works, what engages people, what is the proper follow-up, et cetera. I think that's one of the hardest struggles that a lot of folks are considering, especially if they're working in an organization that's you know outside of their day-to-day -day work and they're part of a professional organization trying to figure out how to pivot and change to those pieces and do it in a successful way perhaps even not having all of the resources that um, some larger organizations would have is how do you make that work successfully and how do you do it in a way that people really want to show up for that, right? They, they are Zoom fatigued. They are, they are having those moments and you, you want folks to be really engaged and have a good experience and make some really good networking opportunities. The other neat thing about EduWeb, and this will segue into our next topic of conversation here, was it was incredibly affordable. So if you were a higher ed professional, it cost you $20 
or could cost you as low as $20 to go in and be able to attend all the sessions. That level didn't include the workshops, but all of the, the educational presentations were available to see. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, the, the projection of positive and negative financial repercussions from this shift in our professional development. Heather, you make a good point. And I think we covered some of that with the uh, where we are in terms of having to take advantage of being creative and what have you. Where I see the negative financial repercussions playing out is the continued use of this platform, virtual platforms, and even as the economy rebounds, even as we have more funding, I think the expectation is going to be that we continue to do this type of uh, professional development, low cost, uh, probably more relevant, ready, timely. So there's gonna be pressure inside of our institutions to hold budgets. And there's going to be pressure on our organizations to deliver more value. I agree with Gail 100%. I think it's a it's a two-pronged approach most likely moving forward as we are going to continue to be looking at the fiscal aspects of things. And then from a professional organization standpoint, if you're a national or even a regional organization, there's going to be a push, I think, for thinking about how information is delivered to members what their institutions are willing to pay for and what will the future look like because there may in fact be more of a push with regard to cost as well as accessibility of resources. Will it be more of a push in the future to have uh, simultaneously perhaps an in-person and a virtual experience happening at once? Catherine, do you think that with a two-pronged approach, we will see organizations have an expectation, members might have an expectation that organizations do something in person, but you said have a simultaneous virtual component to provide more access to those whose budgets have not bounced back or whose institutions just cannot or will not support at that at that moment. Is that what you're, you're thinking? Yes, Gail, I think, I mean, I, I obviously I 100% don't know, you know, what the future holds for us in 100% in that fashion. But I think from from hearing what I hear, even just from my work in student affairs and what our university's thinking, because the doors now are open to students who couldn't attend an event personally because of family situations, et cetera, but they could log in to a virtual program. So now perhaps in some ways our participation in that has gone up. So I, I liken that to the professional development world where many of us were driving in someplace or flying and paying for all these different pieces. But if we're not able to, I could see how universities would be asking our professional organizations, can you offer some components to allow that accessibility to folks who maybe cannot do that for a variety of reasons? I know some organizations already had certain items as a takeaway that you could professionally log into. I know NASPA's one in the past that organization would go ahead and have certain items you could pay to go ahead and have like a replay of certain sessions that were part of the core resources of what they were trying to share. And so I can imagine that might be the push in the future and or some combination of some items delivered virtually and perhaps some more of the networking pieces happening in person. So maybe even chunking up aspects of the, the event in different ways. 
So will the two of you want to travel again to in-person conferences when that's an option? Yes, I'll want to travel, but I also think, again, is there an opportunity for me to provide an additional experience to someone else? So one of the organizations that I love working with and attending events with is CUPRAP, College and University Public Relations Association that is it's fairly regional. I get a lot of value out of that. Of course, I'm going to raise my hand to go whenever we are on the road again. However, if there's an opportunity for me to hang back and do something virtually, I'd love to have one of my staffers who's not had that experience go and spend a couple of days. So I think for me, it just it gives me another way to look at it as a manager. I agree with Gail. I think whatever we can do to brought in the opportunities for our team as well as ourselves and our, and our colleagues would be a wonderful opportunity. I think the some of the virtual experiences also help with some accessibility issues that have been presented at other conferences. I've been at some regional meetings and sometimes you wonder how the facilities are not thinking through perhaps always all of the, the physical and other needs of the attendees. And that's a critical part of, of some events. And so having some things virtually really does help and to help to open the gates for folks to be able to go to something when, when maybe even the facilities sometimes are not quite as accessible as they, they could be. So it seems that we are pointing out a lot of positive aspects that we think can come out of kind of this paradigm shift for professional development. So it's not just purely a physical happening, um, but one that can bridge the physical and the virtual might provide more access for our staff, might provide more opportunities, um, a greater number of opportunities if we're not having to ask for travel money, <laughs> perhaps every time we want to go and attend a, a conference or a workshop or what have you. So let's talk about some of these other things. We, we've thrown around the term accessibility a little bit here. Um, let's talk about some of the good and useful things that, that will come out of this shift. Eventually, we will be on the road again. But what do we hope that we're learning now that will carry into the future when we are no longer bound uh, by virus parameters? Something that I think comes up a lot in conversation with staff that is not necessarily a professional development piece, but it actually does impact that work-life balance conversation. I think a lot of times in the working world, uh, there's not always an understanding or a uh, university perhaps doesn't have a setup for folks to do have opportunities to do different things virtually or even the working from home experience. Many of our universities did not necessarily have a, a work from home policy, et cetera. And now we're kind of thrust into this new experience, which has opened up conversations for folks on flexibility, right? And so if we're having this working flexibility that way, having PD happen. So if we want to be better professionals and we have a family or we have to care give to an elderly parent, having an opportunity to have some virtual access to professional development allows for a lot more flexibility than we would should we need to drive to Pittsburgh. And we just, you know, maybe for that particular week, for some reason, wouldn't be able to do that. And I think we've already talked a lot about, you know, the time away is impacted by um, the travel, but there is a convenience 
that comes along with a lot of the virtual opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily have to worry about when when it's in person, right? There's that that flip side of I can I can log in and then I can pivot immediately to taking care of a life thing that has to be taken care of. So as we're looking at all of this, uh, can you share what you've seen that's truly exceptional right now as far as professional development goes or sharing of information and networks in a way that serves that community of greater good that I think we keep touching upon when we're talking about getting together? Things that are truly exceptional that I've seen. So I've had an opportunity to touch point in a, in a couple different organizations that have shared some resources or opportunities through the, this pandemic time that were, I think, pretty exceptional in terms of professional development. So one I, I mentioned a little earlier was the Higher Ed Assessment Conference that was hosted by New England College. They had a, a multi-day conference, which I thought was a pretty exceptional pull-off that they did earlier, actually, in the pandemic and it really went session to session. It actually gave breaks in between, which was wonderful because it was sort of that natural opportunity that someone needs a glass of water, someone needs to use a restroom, someone needs to go do whatever they need to do in between, which was really nice. I was wondering how they would approach that, but they did a wonderful job with that. And I would also say the American Council on Education, in particular with regard to our women's network, for all the folks that are in the chairperson position nationally get together and they uh, really have went ahead and, and pulled folks together both as in-person via Zoom type experience to do some sessions, learning sessions together that we were able to use the chat, we were able to engage with one another at some of the sessions and also able to see panelists and have those things happen periodically over the course of the pandemic, but also then the staying in touch with folks electronically, even though that wasn't necessarily in a a professional development session, it sort of gave an opportunity to share out information that we could take in on our own time and then the links to things so we can engage with things either again or or, um, sort of asynchronous to when it might be available to you initially. So I appreciated that. There's probably an expectation that some of the larger organizations would deliver an exceptional experience um, that is virtual. However, uh, there are, for me, top of mind, a couple of others from smaller shops. One is uh, Campus Sonar, and I know they are probably an agency and um, advisory market research group as it relates to social listening. But beyond that, they did what I call the pitch perfect pivot. It wasn't necessarily about drumming up business, but figuring out how as a as an organization, they could deliver tools, advice, how-tos, again, to some extent, professional development to those of us who follow them. Another group that did the same thing, uh, in my opinion, is based, uh, I believe, in Philadelphia, and that was Allied Pixel. So while they do, as a business, shoot video and work on digital marketing with higher ed clients, uh, during early days of the pandemic, they sent out how-to sheets. They sent out suggestions for what equipment you should buy for your staff that won't break the bank, uh, which was really important because, you know, we were, there was so much uncertainty about what we could fund, what we needed to buy, uh, what losses schools were going to take during second semester before the CARES Act kicked in. So those two smaller shops, absolutely to me, 
did the pitch perfect pivot. And that was that they weren't just vendors looking to drum up business, but they were partners looking to help us succeed. Yeah, I think that was a really neat outcome of the pandemic when it hit. I mean, I can think off the top of my head, um, Niche and Simpson Scarborough and Carnegie Dartlet and Volt via eCity, like there's been a concerted effort to really, I think, log what is going on and to get some real concrete conversation and numbers and sharing of what everybody's doing because everybody was flying by the seat of their pants and we were doing the best we can and it was really helpful to hear this is um, in cases of data on the aggregate what our peers were doing and you know on the more narrative end do you want to hear what's going on with the admissions process for many of these schools come in and read about it here that 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 sharing was kind of an uh, immediate explosion of professional community and development that that occurred as all of this kicked off. And Heather, I think that will be one of the challenges going forward. How do we take the best of the worst of times? For example, you mentioned the the article, um, the Volt E-City article, and I think you and I connected just to see what schools were, how were, how were schools salvaging the yield season? How were we making sure admitted students got what they needed? in the midst of everything that was going on. So for you to publish that again in almost real time gave everybody insight as to what could be done because it's very easy to sit at your computer and think, oh, woe is me. I'm the only one going through this. But that type of article, that type of sharing, again, goes back to what you said earlier. I think you used the phrase building a community of greater good. And for me, I hope I never see a virus or a pandemic again, but I will take away from this experience things like that. I was going to ask Gail and, and Heather, do you think that based, Gail, on, on what you shared about sort of how great the information was and how open folks were to kind of sharing free resources, do you feel like that will be the the next trend in in higher education is looking at opportunities for information sharing that perhaps isn't quite as cost-driven with regard to organizations, just looking at opportunities and looking at ways for folks to find the the tech and the, the computer version of sharing resources so that things are a little more accessible to, to others. Catherine, I could definitely see that happening. Absolutely. I, it just... You know, a very simple example is how most of our virtual meetings are captured and recorded. So uh, we've gotten to the point for some activities on campus where there isn't really a written compilation of notes from a meeting. There is the Zoom recording or the GoToMeeting recording or the replay, and we can generate a transcript but I definitely think there's there's this this virtual component companion. And I would say it's the neat thing about conferences um, for me with the relationship building is despite the fact that we could all be considered competitors uh, when we gather is everybody is so very frank and open about what they're doing. And it's like, I did this really cool thing and it worked. You want it? (laughs) 
let me walk you through step by step how we did this. So I, I think that, that that spirit was very much the one that, that fueled the explosion of, of data and knowledge sharing that, that happened in the spring. But I would hope it would go, go forward uh, from here. I, I don't really see that, that changing. Great. I think that is a really nice piece that has come out. I think lots of our fields, people are very willing. If you call someone up and say you're trying to untangle a really difficult thing, can you talk it through? They're willing to do that. But I think this pandemic experience has really put folks out there sharing. I think even, even on Facebook groups, uh, folks are sharing professional information just to let people know, you know, where we have a solution to some tangly problem and we are going to share it with you. And people have been really kind about doing that. And I think a lot of folks are a little more inclined these days to, to share out some of those successes or if they're having the struggle, what struggle they're, they're having and the needs they have so that their network of colleagues and supporters can really kind of chime in and help out. All right. So as we bring this to a close, one of the things that we like to do is to maybe touch upon a little bit of fun or ridiculousness at the end. Uh, So my question to each of you is, uh, what is the best or even better, the worst icebreaker that you've ever experienced at a conference? Oh, boy, Heather. I think the worst icebreaker is when you go to a conference and no one's paying attention anyway to whoever's on the podium. And then you're asked to ask the person next to you a question or solve a problem. And you really just want to get to the bar. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like that 430 hour. Like, why are we still in conference mode at 430? (laughs) That type of that type of uh, thing. And it's probably, icebreaker is probably not the right term, but activity, nah, not planning that for anybody's organization anytime soon. I love it, Kale. I love it. (laughs) I think for me, it's more of the logistical issues that I think come with people trying to do it in crowded conference rooms. I've been in some sessions and some are fine. They'll ask you to do something with your neighbor or the person behind you. And that's logistically fine. But I think there are some sometimes where they're trying to get you to get up and the chairs are all, you know, pushed together. So you can't possibly unlock them. And the conference center has put things together a certain way. And you're it, and then everybody has a bag because you got all these tchotchkes they gave you at the other open session or whatever happened. And so there's those logistical things that always make me laugh when people say we're going to get up and do certain things because if your facility isn't ready for that, I think I think it's hard. I think the presenters are from their heart really trying, and then it's sort of epic fail right at that moment because that's not happening. <laughs> the trick, Catherine, is to know when it's an epic fail, and just to yes. say, you know what, just do it where you are, or you know, we're going to take a break here. But not everybody gets it. I mean, if they were like, you know, you have emotional IQ, you should have conference IQ or something, because sometimes things land with a thud. I don't miss that, Heather, about being in person at conferences. Fair enough. Do either of you want to give a last shout out of where you can be found if somebody would like to follow up in conversation? Heather, this has been so much fun. And uh, I do look forward to staying in touch with our listeners today. Hopefully, if you have ideas and just want to share or tell me how much I don't know what I'm talking about, what have you, it's best to reach me on Twitter at Gail Towns. That's G-A-I-L-T-O-W-N-S at Gail Towns. Same handle on LinkedIn. Those are the two platforms where I'm most likely 
to be engaged. So thanks so much. This was great. Echo Gail Sentiments, thank you so much, Heather, for having us today. It's been great chatting with you and hoping to be able to stay connected to the folks listening. You can find me on LinkedIn, but I also wanted to, to just remind everyone to please continue to stay connected to your professional organizations. I'll I'll share information about one that, that Heather and I are both part of, the Pennsylvania ACE Women's Network, which is an arm of ACE National. So please stay connected. You can find us on Facebook and a variety and LinkedIn and a variety of other other ways. So thank you again. And that wraps up this episode of the new Higher Voltage podcast. We're grateful to both of our guests for taking their time to join us today. And we're looking forward to more great conversations with higher ed thought leaders in the weeks and months to come. If you'd like to explore our topic further, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at hdotchell.